0: Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with John Sargent. John, how are you doing? Good. Good to have you back. Last we spoke, actually, you know, I want to hear about you and packaging, Mm -hmm. but I was listening to our last episode a bit. Sorry, you haven't gotten the chance to listen to it, but a couple of things struck me about, you know, you've changed an organization. You helped lead it through some challenges. And some of the words that came up were, one of the most common ones was fun, but also morale and people. And I think a lot of people think, it's a more technical issue. And I think one of the things that came off was how much more of it was of, of a person, of a people issue in terms of your relations with others, but also your own internal vision and your leadership.
1: Yeah. And I've always been a believer in that, right? And it, it goes through everything is the that uh, people will perform at their best, particularly creative people will perform at their best if they are actually having fun at the same time. So I when I Started to think through this many years ago. I set up the goals of the company as, you know, four things return to shareholders, sales growth. And number three was have fun while doing numbers one and two. And then the fourth one I added 10 years later was do less harm to the earth. But having fun was always a part of it. And, and to me, it's the job of uh, upper management to try to make work a fun thing as opposed to a, you know, a difficult task that no one wants to do. And if you think of yourself, uh, when you're having fun, you're better at what you're doing if you're actually enjoying it. So uh, I've always been a big believer in it and try to do the same thing on the sustainability front, you know, try to make sure that we do it in a way that, that, uh, you know, was, was somehow not felt like a burden. And you talked about that, right? That, that being more sustainable shouldn't, shouldn't feel like a burden. It, it should be liberating and, and be joyous, not
0: heavy. Yeah. I think that happens after you've done it. It look, you look back and you're like, of course, how could it be any other way? But everyone before they do it thinks it's going to be a burden or a chore. How could it possibly be fun?
1: At some level it is, right? Because it's a trade-off. The satisfaction you get from doing it comes from it's actually work to do it, right? You you have to actually work. And satisfaction comes from from working to accomplish something. And there's a satisf an, an innate satisfaction when you do. So the more you sacrifice, sort of the more rewarding it is in a certain way. And so, you know, and there's a sort of purity about it, the less. Sort of you're using the less sort of encumbered you are. But that said, it's really difficult on a personal level. Unlike you, I am not as uh, personally, I don't know, good at it. <laughs> I give in to my um, cravings and desires more than you do.
0: I was just talking to someone about some of the things that I have done and some things that I haven't been able to do. Uh, I want to get to that in a minute. I, I want to go back to you said of the, of the priorities that you had in implementing this or in your leadership in general. I noticed you didn't say science, technology, innovation. Did you have to hire any engineers to figure this stuff out?
1: No, we, we, we had engineers of various types and we had, and you know, innovation is, is uh, one of the things about, I guess I'd say one of the things about goals is that if you have lots of them and if they conflict, it's hard to communicate. And if you're running a large organization trying to get something done, you know, having eight or 10 goals, or having goals that inherently conflict, it just makes it harder to get focus and harder to have people understand the sort of core underlying idea of what you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, innovation, of course, is always important. Uh, continuous improvement is important. Creativity is important. There's a lot that is important. But, you know, if if you're a corporation, you don't last long if you don't give a good return to your shareholders. And I always felt that the, there's a competitive thing about growing faster than the competition. It wasn't grow. I, I always said, if the business is shrinking, we should shrink less than the competition. And if the business is growing, we should grow faster. It's a, we should be better than those guys down the street. And in this, in the world that I grew up in, better was often defined as in terms of growth. And it's fun to grow, and it's no fun to shrink. When you grow, you add people to your organization. You have the sense of something blossoming. You have the sense that uh, you're prospering. When you shrink, you're firing people, which is no fun at all. And everybody else is doing better than you at what is under the capitalist system, the sort of grading system we have, which is growth. So I always actually thought intellectually that why, why do we need to grow? Why can't we just be happy where we are? But in the real business world, I felt growth was important.
0: I'm curious about the distinction between, not distinction, but focusing more on the people part of it and the leadership part of it, as opposed to technology and innovation. Yeah. Does that apply? I, this is maybe outside of your um, zone of experience, but does it apply at government national level because I, I think the dialogue for where the country should go or the world should go is often like we have to get more technology and so forth. Maybe, but I don't see as much focus as you were talking about on people and morale and systems.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a, I, you know, and this will, I God, I hope this isn't arrogant of me, but I don't think the relentless drive for growth and technology on a global thing is necessarily to our great long-term advantage, right? And what we lose with all this drive for technology and, and all that is we lose the simplicity of, you know, of a walk in nature. Right. And that stuff is important. We have to look what gives us joy. And I'm sure for some people, joy is, you know, a, a new gadget that does more than the old gadget did. And how cool is it that you can watch a movie on your telephone and, and, you know, all that, but For me, that that's not the that's not the source of joy or peace or or reward in the in the true as we are as animals. Right. As we are as human beings, humans are animals right there. And and so I think there's there's a lot that's overlooked when you look at what makes for, uh, I don't know, a robust uh, life on Earth. To me, it's not about technology and innovation, but that's just me.
0: Yeah, This morning, I was reading an article in the paper about there's some space down in Lower Manhattan on Water Street, Pearl Street, and it's a parking lot. And somehow it's been a parking lot. Like They're like, how did that happen? Because there's an elevated line there or whatever. And apparently, there's a mercury factory there. So there's some mercury in the uh, – sorry, a thermometer factory. So there's yeah. mercury in the ground. Anyway, so they're talking about what to do with it. And they're debating should it be high-rise buildings or low-rise buildings. I put it – I tweeted, I got a better idea. Make it a park with green grass and shade. Hey. And I know that no one will consider it. Not the tweeting is how to get a proposal. But
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of um, understanding in the world that a green grass in a park is actually really important to the human experience. It is a better place to live if you can go walk in a green park than if you can't.
0: Yes, I concur. And somehow it gets lost. And
1: gets lost because it's it's this it's a, the sort of the the system drives from growth there's always more people if the species prospers you grow in the, in the number of people on the planet if you grow with a number of people on the planet you if you look at what makes life comfortable you know the more housing you have the warmer you are in the winter the cooler you are in the summer the more comfortable you are the more joyous your life if you never get sick because of great medicine uh this is the this is the great you know this is sort of it would be miserable if you went backwards. Think about if you lived now in the you know 1400s. Oh, my God, you'd be always hot, always cold. You'd be scratching because you'd have lice and bugs all over you the whole time. You'd be coughing and hacking. You'd get a cold and you'd be almost dead. And then if you recovered from that, you'd be 50 years old and you'd be dead. You know, isn't it better where we are today? You bet it is. So but the question is, you know, does that just keep cycling and get better, 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 better?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I'm in the middle of a book. I don't know if you know James Sussman's book, Work, and he wrote a book before that, Affluence Without Abundance, about... He lived among the San Bushmen in Southern Africa for a long time. Yeah. So if you go to 1400, Europe, uh, much worse in terms of longevity and health and um, and prosperity than today. Yeah. But if you went to Southern Africa, where they lived that way for 200,000 years, yeah. people thought they just somehow got stuck in a stone age and didn't get caught up with modern times, but no, they looked at other ways of living. They're like, no, why would I want to do that? Why? Why would I want to do that?
1: Like the American Indian, right? Yeah. Same thing.
0: So that's like a really, that book is really getting me to change. a lot. I mean, there's a lot of books that change a lot of things. That's one of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting. And I don't think there's a simple answer and it's different for everybody because a lot of it is personal choice, but you know, for me in the, in the working life, I always felt that, you know, we had one, we had a family that owned us, right? So, and, you know, do they need more? They have some billions of dollars. Is it more important for them to have another $10 million or is it more important for people to have better benefits at work? And those are the things you start to weigh and say, you know, geez, is is the scale balanced correctly here? Particularly the pandemic, very interesting, right? You know, you start to see, oh, the employees here are actually, you know, really struggling. And do we need to make more money for the owner at this point in time? Or do we need to make sure our employees are in good financial health and good emotional health? What should we stress as far as running a business? And, and you know, it's, that's interesting stuff when you start to actually have the weight of it and try to make those decisions.
0: I did want to cover a bit of what struck me from our last conversation because most people, when they think of acting, they think of technology innovation and, and they think of a challenge yeah. and it is challenging the switch. Although I think after you switch, it tends to be not hard to stay once you're there. And yeah, and I want to highlight that after people act, it tends to be conversations not about how do we fine tune this or what's it's about values and how do we live by our values and what are they? And it's a much more interesting conversation. Before people act, it tends to be about diffusion of responsibility, like what I do doesn't matter, or here's what the government should do, or pointing fingers. But after one acts, I think we find that we like having acted.
1: Yeah, there's a satisfaction. It. It's an accomplishment, right? You, you set to do something and you accomplish it.
0: Great. What to segue into. So also when last we spoke, you talked about, uh, we took on a, a commitment. And we're, I think we're about three months into a six-month commitment. And can you refresh our memories what before what the commitment was? what was in your heart? what led you to think of what to do and then what did you do oh okay so yeah uh,
1: it was um we we were having a discussion about uh you know you like to get your guests to take on a challenge to to improve in these areas and and you said you know what what would bring for me and, and it was it was basically an instinctual reaction when you put me on the spot, right? I uh, I thought, well, what is it that that I'm doing now? It's just bad and I shouldn't be doing. And it was around-
0: Sorry to interrupt. Do you remember before that, what was good? Do you remember what you talked about that led you to what to change? God, no. Was it plastic bags? I don't know what it
1: was. Straws? What? what? I, I can't remember. This is
0: part of why I ask this because people once people start doing stuff, it starts to being about- uh, here's New York. I don't know if you can hear it reminding us. You're talking about the quiet and here's yeah. some noise. And people forget about often what originally motivated them, which is usually what will motivate them again. So you talked about, I think, Wyoming, maybe, where you grew up in like silence, being away from people. Yeah. Actual, not just going on a little hike, but really getting away.
1: Way way back, that was part of the discussion about um, what do you find? How are you constructed? What feedback have you gotten to construct uh, sort of your your point of view on what's important, right? And that's about understanding the importance of nature and the and the wilderness and how important that all is. And and you know, a bit of plastic on the trail is a is a bad thing, right? Just a little, one little piece of plastic on the trail is a bad thing. So that's sort of in my construct, but when you ask me, you know, point blank, what I could do better. You know, I'm scrambling my brain, and and immediately popped in the thing that just irritates the sh- of me, which is people who you know put your food in layer upon layer of plastic when you go in and order it. Right, so you go into a deli. I'll have a roast beef sandwich, and you have to tell the guy, no plastic shell, please wrap that in paper, and then. Once the pandemic hit, I found that I was going in and taking the easy way out. And you go into these stores and you just grab the pre-made food, which is generally in plastic. And unfortunately, the stuff I like the most is in plastic, mm-hmm. which I like the most to eat, which has the best taste to me, the, bit, the stuff I enjoy eating. Mm-hmm. So that's what I said. That's what came into my mind. And I said, well, you know what? That's just bullshit because I can go down a road and get some stuff uh, that's you know not as good, but is fine. And I don't mm-hmm. care that much about food. So why am I doing that? So I said, I'll stop. Uh, instead of stop, I said, I'd get better at it because I knew I wasn't going to stop entirely because I'm weak. <laughs> so, I, uh, so I said, I am going to get better. And the fantastic thing is there's a, there's a layer of guilt that puts on you when you do that, right? When you, when you make that commitment to you, when I made that commitment. Now, when I reach out for that thing I like the most, I go, oh, I, I, I've i got a <laughs> mission not to do that. And so I, I pass by that and I, you know, go home and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich instead.
0: I believe that it doesn't create guilt. I think it reveals guilt that was already there and enables you to act. on yeah. it, But
1: it, and that's exactly right. You're exactly right. It, it, the reason I chose that is I felt terribly guilty about it. Right. I, I already knew every time I did, I felt guilty because, you know, I have for Christ, probably a, 15 years now, I've been saying to guys behind counters, you know, don't wrap that in plastic and no plastic bag, please. And actually no bag at all, please. I'll put it in my pockets. And yet here I am hypocritically grabbing my tortilla, roast beef, roast beef wrapped in a tortilla, cut into little bits and laid into this heavy plastic container. I'm grabbing it and eating it, which is, you know, hypocritical. It's not what I should
0: be doing. Well, you talk about this inner feeling is a lot of people out there are doing very important work on what I call management of of working on the numbers and, and creating goals and hitting the goals and creating incentives. I think that's very, very important. What I'm doing is I'm trying to work on these inner feelings. I think everyone's all twist up. And if we, with these feelings inside of like, I want to do X, but it's so much easier not to, or everyone else is not doing it, or what I do doesn't matter. I think that what I want to do is resolve that twisted up feeling so that people yeah. can feel, I think that they want to act in a certain way. But they don't want to be the first or they don't want to be weird yeah. or. And then that's why I want leaders on the show so that people can say, oh, I know that person. I'm not weird. It's John Sargent's weird. I'm just doing what he's doing.
1: Yeah. So for the general person, right, if you're living your life in America today, you're uh, bombarded with advertising. And people have gotten really smart in trying to make you want things and you want them. and Fulfilling what you crave and you want is a very human thing. And the world has gotten good at making you want stuff. So at some point, if you really want something and you can't have it, think of what happens when you're a, a three-year-old. You really want that thing. Your mom says no, and you burst into tears and you scream, I want that now. Right? That's I think that's a very human thing. So, you know. When you want something, you want to you do it. And, and the, the right place to attack that, I think, is in the don't allow yourself to be manipulated to want something, right? Because you're being manipulated. You, mm-hmm. the, why do you want that particular thing? I want that because I'm being manipulated to want it one way or another. I'm, you know I have the right combination of sugar and salt that a chemist at a food company has figured out is addictive. Right. And Mm -hmm. he, he, that guy is making me want to eat that. Right. That's the way it works. Right. It it is, you know, the, the, the desire to have something is sort of manufactured beyond having, you know, food and shelter and, you know, human companionship and children and stuff like that. Those are all naturally baked in a lot of the rest is manipulated. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I can feel myself being manipulated, you know, Get the Patagonia catalog and you see, ooh, look at that new jacket. I'd like to have that then. I don't need a goddamn jacket. <laughs> what the hell do I need a jacket for? I have, I, have, I have every Patagonia jacket I've ever bought is still in perfectly good form. So I got to stop buying that stuff. So I did.
0: It reminds me of, uh, I think it was Corey Doctorow. He was teaching at NYU and he wrote two pieces. One was, it was about students having their computers open in class. And this is years ago. At first he said, it's my job as a professor, as a teacher, to be interesting. And if I'm not interesting, then they should be able to get stuff out. And then a year or two later, he wrote, the best minds of our generations are hired to figure out what makes people want to open the computer. And once it's open to stick in the computer, and I can't can't possibly compete with teams of people at Facebook and Instagram that I can't compete with that. There's no way. But he can, and Corey in particular can, right? Because Corey-
1: Oh God, yeah. Corey can compete, right? Because I don't know. You, uh, Corey is a, uh, he a fast, we published Corey and, and uh, I, I really like the guy and uh, he really, really smart. Right. Mm-hmm. And the thing that Corey has perfected is not only is he intelligent on all these topics, but he's uh vastly entertaining in the way he presents them that in person. Corey whips a screen every every moment of every day, if you are curious at all as a human being, because he has a magnetism about his enthusiasm for what he's talking about is magnificent. And face to face, you can't, there's no way a screen can compete with that. But he's right. In your day to day life, you don't have Corey in front of you. You have your screen in front of you. And those guys are making it addictive as hell. I mean, they're making it seriously addictive. and Good on them. That's the the way the game is played. But you know, there's something there's something that's you're you're being manipulated to spend your time in a way that profits somebody else. And and at the end of the day, I don't have any judgment on folks and how they spend their time. And if if they get true joy out of you know playing Call of Duty, great. Everybody's different. But for everything, you need to everything you need to step back and say, what am I actually? Is this actually rewarding to me at some deep level? And if it is, fine.
0: And I want to pursue that, but I want to go back to uh, how did things play out with the plastic and the wrapping and your own shopping?
1: I'm doing better. You've done a good job. I'm doing better. I'm. Uh, I did have the roast beef bites in plastic once because I was at a at a moment. It, it's funny. It's 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 human weakness, right? And we all have it. You have X amount of discipline, and there are days when you get up and you know. Shit isn't going right and da, da 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 And you want to reward yourself with something, right? And there's days when you're weaker and there's days when you're stronger. And and I had a weak day and I grabbed those roast beef bites. But overall, I've been doing okay. I would guess, I would guess my the amount of plastic I'm consuming through eating and drinking is probably down, I don't know, half. It's probably in half of from when we talked. I consume less of stuff too, right? So, you know, I've been much more disciplined about not getting diet soda or seltzer in a can because I have the seltzer stuff I make at home, right? So I I don't, if I just have discipline about it, I don't need to do that. And I've started doing the the thing I never used to do, which is carry a water thing on, on planes and stuff. So I never get uh, stuff at airports anymore because I always used to, I'm one of these guys who obsesses with light packing. Mm-hmm. I like to have nothing. So I, I go for three week business trip followed by a week of vacation, one small backpack on my back, right? Carry on. And that just means you have to be very sort of rigid about what you put in that bag and what you don't. And that big water bottle was always like, mm, too much space. And I can do that another way. And, and then I, so recently I just sort of switched that and said, well, that's stupid because not drinking a can of soda is actually more important. You know, I'm not consuming that can. So I've, I've gone the other way. So, you know, I'm making, I make progress.
0: I like how it returned to values there of when you talk about water, you know, like what's important. I mean, to me talking about what's important is talking about one's values and how to live by one's values.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's hard though, in today's world, temptation is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Temptation is everywhere. Right. And, and so, you know, we're all human. And if you can get to sort of Think of it as monastic living, right? If you can get to no need for outside, you can realize once you experience it, and this is some of the stuff you talk about, once you experience it, you realize the gratification in it, the not having things, the, the quiet, the you know limited supply of food, all that. There's a real joy in that, but you have to experience it first. and most people don't want to experience it because it's not naturally something that you think you'd want. How often do people go hungry? How often have you spent four days and not put any food in your body? Most people have never done that. And the reason you haven't done it is, hey, it's uncomfortable. And your body says, give me some goddamn food. And there's some food sitting right over there. And your body screams, take your hand. Reach out, grab that goddamn sandwich and put it in my mouth is what your body is telling you to do and very strongly. And so it's hard to refuse food, but the guys who do it say it's fantastic. I've done it once and I felt great, but I did it. I did it the cheaters way out in the wilderness and there was no food to be had. No temptation. So yeah. There's no temptation, yeah. right? So that's the cheaters way. I did a cheater way and you feel great.
0: Did you go four days? Yeah, four and a half days. I've done three days, and it was really a life experience. It wasn't yeah. about dieting. It was about self-awareness and growth and learning Yeah, for me. Not that I knew that.
1: You realize in
0: doing it, you, you realize what you need and what you don't need. You know, what you call the cheater's way, you, you're describing me as better at something. But I'll grant you in some areas, possibly more experienced if I've been avoiding packaging longer. I'll give you more experience, and I'll also give you what you described is the cheater's way, because I've figured out through months of effort originally, and now through years of practice, where not to shop, where to shop, what to have in my apartment, what not to have here. Yeah. So being in my apartment, once I'm here, I'm, I might as well be in the woods in terms of eating packaged food because there isn't any. Yeah. I, there's a little bit. I, I can't say zero. And uh, it's really to try to... You talked about sin last time. You talked about weakness. Yeah. I can't rely on, on like my goodness. I can't rely on my discipline and strength because that's not there. That'll get me through the shift. But then what works is to create a lifestyle and, and an environment. What you get that I don't have at this point, but you
1: do, is you get the inner satisfaction is high enough that it trumps the temptation. You get joy from A, having accomplished it, but B, the way you're living, you get enough joy in that, that the temptation isn't as tempting for you anymore.
0: That's certainly the case in some areas. But I want to point out, like, it's much more the case of what you described, you being in the woods. Even if you're tempted, you couldn't do it, you couldn't do it anyway. So it's much more, I've put, I've created an environment rather than, I mean, I live in my apartment, so I can't go to the woods all the time, but I can like, people know if they come over here, like when friends visit, they know don't bring meat. Like, I'm not gonna, like, I won't even allow that in my apartment. Some dairy, okay. And there may be, yes, there's joy in the vegetables that I eat that there wasn't there before, because I used to think vegetables were bad. Now I think I can't get enough of them. Right. But mostly what I rely on is creating an environment where it's easy to do what I like and hard to do what I don't like. Now, after yeah. long enough, I'll go even farther than the joy. I've definitely found this joy that I didn't know was there before. And it took a while to create. And I'm going to give you one more thing, is disgust. I have more disgust. Like Ben and Jerry's used to be the best thing. In Philadelphia, we went to a co-op and the co-op got it before anyone else because it was Vermont. And like, and I mean, I was in Philadelphia, but Terry Garcia, I just loved it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And now there's not enough money in the world to get me to eat any. Yeah. It's not that it brings me joy not to eat it, but the idea of eating dairy to me now is... Is, it's revolting.
1: It's, it's fantastic, right? It is It is one of the remarkable things about human beings, right? If we change our habits, we have the ability to change our habits entirely and, and to then find, I mean, if you think about things like addiction stuff, right? You get people who live for smoke and pot who never smoke pot anymore and are actually disgusted by it, right? And- same thing with cigarettes, same thing with alcohol, all that stuff. And I think uh it's a remarkable thing about human beings that you can take the stuff that was bad for you or bad for the earth and and you can intellectually realize it's bad, then you can be, beat whatever it is you're trying to beat and then you can actually get to the place where you don't want it anymore, which is which is very cool if you think about it. And and uh and you know is uh is is a great sort of thing about how great a Homo sapien is, right? That you can actually do that is uh fantastic. And and once changed, you know, how many vegetarians do you know who meat actually sort of makes them gag? And if you the other thing I was thinking of for for you is it becomes like you if I look at your like your website and Seth and and you have a you know, I haven't flown an X amount of things. I haven't generated more than X amount of garbage in X amount of time. You have these these sort of metrics that you have. And what that does, it's like, it's like a uh, AA is for alcoholics, which is they celebrate the accomplishment of passage of time. So you get a six month coin, you get a one year coin, you've been sober for two years, you've been sober for 10 years, you've been sober for 15 years. And it's smart and it's all about human nature, right? Because if you've been sober for 15 years, You lose all of that with one drink, all of that. Now you can only get a six-month coin, right? So as the years go by, it becomes more and more, more and more you don't want to lose the accomplishment that you have done. So if you have accomplished, I have not eaten meat and dairy for 10 years, you want to keep saying that and you want to keep feeling That's a really good thing. And it it gives you real power as a person. So as you accomplish it, the barriers to going backward grow.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things baked into that. There's public accountability. On top of what you said, there's public accountability. There's a sense of it's part of my identity. Yeah. Every now and then, I think, will I ever skip a day doing burpees? And now, 10 years in, a couple of things happen. One, I mean, another thing that happens is I start, people call me extreme, but. Every t- step I take, I find role models far ahead of me. So like Mandela is a huge role model for me in terms of he, 27 years. He did his, his exercises in prison because I don't know if you know, he was a, an amateur boxer when he was younger. And he does boxing routine of four days on, three days off. And, and I loved when I read his autobiography and he wrote of the day that he was released from prison. Major global event. You know, he's going to talk to presidents and kings and yeah. wakes up at 430 in the morning, does his exercises. Yeah. Then goes and does the other things.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty of that, that thing, right? Which is he doesn't want to give up the, and, and plus we are creatures of habit. And if you can establish the right habits, you know, it's what you say, right? That if you can establish the habit of not buying plastic stuff, that becomes your habit. It becomes a good habit as opposed to like smoking cigarettes, a bad habit. But good, habits are powerful in both directions.
0: If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small it doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodak.com slash donate. So now you're, you're three months into this. I don't know if it's a habit yet. What are the emotions attached to it? And how do they evolve over time? Where, where did they start? How are they now?
1: They're uh, microscopic emotions in my life, right? I don't think about it all day, every day. I don't think about it hardly at all. I'm not a big food guy. So I, I don't think about food. I don't, I don't care much about food. So it happens when I go into the store to get the sandwich or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's when it happens. And so it's a small moment, but every time I triumph over my basic Urge to grab that thing and eat it. There's a little sense of joy, right? There's a little sense of joy as I get through the checkout. I'm out the door. I didn't buy it. I go, yeah, I didn't buy it, and then that's gone. It's a two second emotion, but it's joy. It's it is it is joy. It's not hmm. uh, it's not satisfaction. It's uh, happiness.
0: Happiness. Joy. Is there also is there frustration or or annoyance?
1: No, that that there's frustration and annoyance there when I'm in the place and I want to buy that thing. Then there's frustration and annoyance,
0: but it mm-hmm. goes away as soon as I leave. Okay. And is this affecting relationships with other people? Does it involve others?
1: No, not not very much. It it uh as I say, I'm like a I'm not like you. I don't go all the way to zero or try to get as close to zero as possible. I try to be better. I don't force myself, you know, I did, if I could be fifty percent better, that would move the needle. So I don't have uh, I don't have the the overall sense of denial, you know. I don't have that, you know. I'm never going to do that again thing. So it's less serious than what you do.
0: I wanted to ask if you're living with anyone and, and if they get if it affects them. But now I also have to go back and say, why well, do people always think I'm I'm sh- I'm not shooting for zero? I'm also shooting for better all the time. To me, I feel like I think I mentioned this before. It's like to an artist, the details are really become very important. I mean, when you're a beginner artist, you don't know.
1: But you are looking for continuous improvement and that's yeah. your problem, right? Because once you start down the road and you take it as seriously as you take it mm-hmm. and you want to be better all the time, pretty soon you're going to run out of, you're going to be up there at 99%. And that last percent is really almost impossible to get,
0: right? You're thinking of it as, as I don't know, obligation or, or, or work, but I'm thinking of it as as fun. So that last bit of fun, I'm like, I want that too.
1: That last bit of fun—you're you're just reaching for that last bit of fun—but there is a, a limit. If you want to stay alive, there's a limit to how far you can go. So your gains, the amount of gain you have, will continuously shrink as you get better.
0: If we talk about this again in another three months, I'm—I'll be curious how that goes because it's like saying to LeBron James, like, how much higher percentage of free throws do you want to get? Like, you can't get a hundred. What he can
1: get is. Each percentage point better is tougher and tougher to get. So if you're naturally, say you, you say you shoot free throws at a natural pace of you get 20% in, and then you start to work and practice, now you're at 30%, then you're at 40%, you're making these huge gains, right? That's, you're making gains of 20 30% as you go. But then when you get up to 80%, getting to 81% is a tiny, tiny gain. And it's really hard to do. So the further you get along in these things, the more difficult it is to make percentage jump
0: gains. My measure is not the percentage gains. My measure... Okay, I'll give you an example. Okay. My electric bill is probably lower than most people's. Yeah. And I came across this article a while ago that talks about how other countries... I was just reading this. Other countries tend to... Or other societies tend to use less refrigeration, more fermentation. I was talking uh, about Vietnam. So a yeah. hot, humid country, and they don't use a whole lot of refrigerators, not like we do. And there's a lot of street restaurants. And those restaurants yeah. don't have refrigerators, they ferment stuff. Yeah. So, you know, in line with my wondering if I could go without packaging for a week, I looked at my fridge and I was like, that's probably my biggest source of power or my biggest use of power right now. And I thought, I wonder if I could go without a fridge for a little while. And then, you know, I think I don't know if I told you, but when I first had the idea to avoid packaging for a week, it took me six months from having the idea to doing it because I was planning and analyzing instead of just doing it. Yeah. And I realized that the planning and, and, and analyzing was just delaying doing it. And that's a,
1: big, that's a big mistake in business too. You see people make all the time. Spend two years making the plan. Where, yeah, Jesus, just do it. And then if you've got it a little wrong, adjust, but don't spend all your time planning.
0: Yeah, I mean, to solve the problem, face the problem, have the problem yeah, happen and then solve it. So with that in mind, I went over and just unplugged my fridge. This is December, 2018. And I made it a couple of months without, and I had to quick, like, okay, suddenly the stuff in the freezer is starting to thaw. So I had to figure out what to do with it. And then this year, I decided to unplug it earlier in the year and go longer. Cause I, I do it in the winter when I can put food on the windowsill and it's cold over there. And also in the winter, my food is, tends to be, it's local stuff. So it tends to be more root vegetables as opposed right. to the green leafy stuff. And root, you know, rutabagas can stay on your counter for a long time. Yeah. So my last two electric bills, there's the fixed cost that's $20 a month that I can't change nothing. That's just a, a bill from kind that has that the electrical charge was a dollar 70, both of the last two months. Now you might say it was, it was already down to, I don't know, not much above that before that. Yeah. So you could say, well, to get, if I want to get to a dollar 50 or a dollar, like that's a lot of work, but that's not my experience of it. My experience of it is fermenting foods and cooking from scratch. And how do I like, how do I shop? And It's a joy of food. Yeah. So someone who's looking at the percentages and the dollars, it's like, okay, so say I get down to a dollar, like I save 70 cents a month. Even the power use isn't that much. Actually, now it's gotten me to where I'm probably going to go and look into getting solar for my apartment. Now, is that going to... That would be like just something sticking in the window with a little battery pack. That's not... The point of that is not savings. No. The point of that is like... Oh how does solar work what is how much sunlight do i get what can i power and it's a voyage of discovery that if you only look at the numbers you're not seeing what it the meaning value for me for you that's a voyage of discovery because that's what
1: interests you and 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 brings you passion right and for other other people guilt is what is a driving force there's many people on earth who a lot of their behavior is driven by guilt.
0: Well, yeah, that's me in the past. That's, that's what led to this.
1: Yeah, what should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? And, you know, there's, to me, the using solar is not about money. They, when you go to these solar companies, they all say, send me your electric bill and, you know, I'll, we'll try to figure out a system that'll reduce your electric bill. And I'm like, I don't care if i reduce my electric bill. I'm happy to have my electric bill go way up. I just want to not be using fossil fuel power in my house so that I feel good about sitting in my house being warm.
0: See, when it's you, it's not about the numbers. For you, it's about the joy yeah. for me, it's also about the joy.
1: yeah and numbers is just traditionally how we measure shit, right? It's how do you realize what you're doing or whatever you measure stuff and and so the, there's these numbers that are perceived to be important. And it's the same with business, right? There is, I remember when we're doing solar, when we're looking at solar panels and, and uh, on the warehouse, we, we couldn't get that done. And there was a, there was a moment where, and it was failure on my part that the way to do solar in actuality, if you're looking at the problem you want to solve, which is the global emissions of carbon.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, can I guess? Go ahead. I bet it's use less power in the first place. Yeah, it's useless
1: power in the first place. But if you want to solve for lower energy, right? How do you do that? If you're going to solve with solar, why are you going to put solar on your house if you live in New York? You shouldn't care about putting solar on your house. Put solar on a structure somewhere out in Arizona where there's lots and lots of sun and just let that power go into the grid. And then don't worry that you're getting the savings from it. Who cares? You have reduced electric usage. And who cares if it's on your bill or somebody else's bill if you're not doing it for money, if you're doing it for reducing your carbon footprint?
0: I'm actually going to throw a different thing in that the reason I'm doing, I talked about saving power, but that's not actually what my goal is. It's a minor goal for not having the fridge plugged in. There's another article I read in the same place about power grids and resilience. Mm -hmm. If you want to go, our power grid has outside Texas in February this year. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a separate power grid, but we have something like 99.9. I forget. It's like a couple days out of the year. Someone, I forget the exact numbers, but we have a certain percentage of, of uptime on our power grid. Some countries have a little higher. Most countries have a lot lower to go up What you were saying before applies here. To go up to, if we're at 99.9, to go to Mm 99.99 is like 50% increase in the cost of maintaining the grid. Yeah. But it also goes the other way. To go from 99.9 to 99 or to 98 is a huge, huge savings. Yeah. And what keeps us from doing that is we feel entitled to power all the time. We do not live resilient ourselves as individuals. Exactly. If we, as individuals, could permit a few more hours of downtime a year, then the savings. First of all, we could use a lot more re- renewables, and we could the savings in, in maintenance and building out power supplies and not having peaker plants would be tremendous. If we could just go without a fridge for a day or two a year, that's what I was looking at. I think it was increasing resilience.
1: There's another way of looking at it. It's same same problem. You know, if if it's a global problem, you don't have to solve it locally.
0: Yeah, I like to use the word systemic.
1: And when when we're doing it, I remember we didn't put solar panels up in in uh, New Jersey on the Barnes and Noble warehouse like we had hoped to. We didn't you know, we didn't do it. And what I should have done, I just couldn't get myself there. I wanted the picture of the warehouse, our warehouse with the Macmillan name on it, with the solar panels on the roof and look at that. And I knew for employee morale, they'd be proud of it. And and there'd be a big boost in you know, hey, you know, how great, look at the steps we've taken. And I just, it was, it was ego. I wanted that shit on the R, I wanted it on our roof because I wanted to make that statement. And the end of the day, what I should have done is just taken the money we would have spent, put it on somebody else's roof out in, you know, because our, our warehouse couldn't, the roof wasn't strong enough and put it on somebody else's roof where there was more sun. And I didn't, and, you know,
0: a phalem. Oh, I wish I'd talked to you a couple of days ago. I'm talking to a guy who's the CEO of this big organization and they're, they're coming to me and they're like, they're doing PR first and effectiveness second. And I want to switch that.
1: Yeah. And that, and that I always, I took a lot of uh, grief in the company because everybody wanted to, wanted to tell the world what we were doing. And I said, no. No, I'm not going to broadcast that we have this target of, you know, 65% reduction and press releases. And it's going to appear in all the newspapers and all that. I said, we can talk about it when we do it. We have to do it first, then talk about it. And that was also a mistake at a certain point, right? Uh, it was a mistake. And I look back at it now. I said, bah, we did that wrong. We should have started talking about it because there's power in talking about it. And they finally started, they finally got me to. You know, agree to do some stuff, but we should have been much more aggressive earlier with the gains we were making as we were making them, because other people might have followed. And
0: and you know, it was uh, that was dumb of me. So this company that is thinking about starting something, am I reading right that it's it's start with internal what you want, but the I think do PR yes, but after you've already done something, or or maybe before too, you can say and it works. It's hugely
1: effective. You can make a big PR statement that says, we are going to reduce our carbon by 50% in five years, and you get written up in the newspapers, and your employees will love it, and it's all fantastic stuff. But you know, go back and take a look at, for instance, all the people who pledged to use over X amount of recyclable paper in their products within a, within a five-year period. And you'll find that Awful lot of those people didn't hit those targets, and the reason they didn't hit those targets is the world kind of changed, and you know it became sort of obvious that recycled paper might not be the answer for all these problems. And there were issues with recycled paper, and there were actually environmental issues. And a lot of people never hit those targets. They made them. They did press releases, and they didn't hit them. But nobody. There's no accountability in that that stuff. And so to me, it just It feels like just, you know, it's pretty easy to put out that piece of paper and say, we have a goal to do this, but you haven't actually, you haven't done a goddamn thing. You've just decided you are going to try to do something. And why should you get, you know, a pat on the back for that? Get a pat on the back when you've reduced the carbon footprint, but don't get a pat on the back for announcing you're going to do it.
0: Yeah, I guess not that it would go in this clumsy way, but it would be like, we're going to do it in five years we put this huge amount of money in escrow that we will sacrifice if we don't achieve that goal that might be a little more
1: yeah no. you you could you could put more teeth in it but to me it just i didn't feel like bragging about it until we'd done something i didn't feel i had the right to to lead uh until you know when uh, last year or about now now about 2 years ago i got to be head of the uh association of american publishers chairman of it and and it, for my reign i said you know What I want to do while I have this job is move the industry to a more sustainable thing. All the things we can do together to move the needle as an industry. But the only reason I had the credibility to say that is I could say we reduced our carbon footprint by over 60% in 10 years. It's doable and we know how to do it and we will share that with you. And we can try to move the needle, all of us together in the areas where we need to work together to make this done. I looked around the room and everybody was nodding their head. And I said, does everybody here agree that we're going to try to get this done in a year? Everybody said, yes. But if I hadn't actually, if we hadn't actually done it, what credibility would I have sitting there saying that?
0: When people say to me, Josh, you do all this stuff, but it's like what one person does doesn't matter. And I'm like, what I do for myself isn't, I know that divided by 7.8 billion rounds off to zero, but what, how can I lead someone else? How would I know what to say or do? But how, even if I did know what to say or do, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have the credibility. No one would listen to me.
1: Well, you have to, yeah. You have to have credibility in order to lead effectively. You have to have credibility, and the only way to get credibility in this stuff is to have done it.
0: I'm curious to ask, where do things stand with you interacting with the industry now that you're not officially at a place?
1: I'm out, I'm all the way out. You know, it, it's sort of it's a it's a strange thing when you. When you spend all of it, God, that's what forty years I've been working in the industry, uh, a little over forty years. The day you you no longer are doing it, you're no longer doing it, right? So there's no there. I have no affiliations. I still talk to people and stuff, but I'm doing no work in the industry, and I have no power in the industry. I, I mean, I suppose I have power that I, there's a lot of people I know and like, and they know and like me, and if I called them and said, you know, hey, would you do this or would you do that? They they do their best to help me out. But uh, I like to be a self-sufficient guy and stuff, so I don't. I don't. You know, I'm. I'm done
0: looking at it from the outside now. Or do you? Do you look at it from the outside? Or are you not even?
1: Yeah, I don't look at it. I don't. It's interesting. I, I didn't. I didn't actually subscribe to any of the industry newsletters or any of that stuff. I don't look at the New York Times bestseller list anymore. But I sort of walked away from it. It's it healthier that way. I think.
0: I think I'll leave this till next time. If you're if you're game for the six month conversation of sure. how things are now, it's. Uh... The way you said it, it sounds like a big transition away from, but I haven't heard to what. I'm curious about that.
1: I don't have to anything yet, which is really interesting. At a younger age, that seems almost understandable. But uh, after 12 hours a day every day for 42 straight years, there's a moment where there's a gain in uh, trying to have none of that. Right, none of that to change. Think of, of you, right? Pre, before you started doing this stuff, to after, you're a changed human being. You have a different set of goals and all that, but you had to make a leap at some point, right? You had have to have, make a leap from the path you were on to a new path, and uh, and you know sometimes that leap is generated internally. Sometimes external factors force it, which is the case for me. And then you have to decide, okay, well, I'm in midair here. Where do I want to land? And I've been doing a lot of thinking about uh, how to make those decisions. And it's interesting. It goes to some of the stuff we've been talking about, right? The, there's a set of expectations that you grow up with living in capitalist, democratic America about what productivity is and how important productivity is and what is good and what should give you a sense of accomplishment and, and joy and and. There's a moment in time like this where, if you look at all that, then you, then you, the only way to discover is to actually listen to yourself. And listening to yourself in today's world is actually quite difficult because you have a lot of people talking at you all the time and they have their expectations. They say things like, John, I can't wait to know what you're doing next. It's going to be so great. John, I know that you're going to change the world with whatever you decide to do next. John, It's steady stream. It's other people's expectations of what you are to be. And so interesting moment to try to put all that away and say, what is actually inside of me? Once you don't have the constant, you know, pressure and all that, what is actually inside of me as the thing that I should do to move forward? What will give me a sense of satisfaction and purpose? shouldn't be the expectations of others. should be the expectation of yourself when you're a fully functioning grown adult. And you have expectations of yourself now that you've evolved to. That determines what makes you happy, not the expectations of people outside of yourself.
0: A few minutes ago, I said, let's put it off till next time. But if you're game, I'm curious, you just set up a bunch of of questions that you're asking. I think you're asking yourself or that one should ask oneself. Yeah. And- now I'm very curious, how are you going with the, If you don't mind sharing and no obligation to, but are you answering these questions?
1: Why don't we leave it for next time? Okay. I'll be further along the way and I will have thought more about it. And, and uh, for anybody who listens to this and is interested, there's a cliffhanger for you. Yeah,
0: cliffhanger. I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like someone who I, I, I think of great books often end each chapter with You know, oh, got to be the next chapter. Good,
1: good good storytelling. You need to, you need to have a continuation, an urge for people to know. Well, what happened next is uh, is a good way to to stop. So,
0: all right, and I will still ask anything to leave the listeners with from at this stage or any message so far to close with.
1: Oh, as far as the as the. Uh, the goal of cutting back on the packaging and all that stuff.
0: That or anything we talked about. It could be stuff like Macmillan or anything else.
1: No, I think the the interesting thing is the process, right? It, it is the understanding what makes you do the things you do and looking inside yourself, which is hard in today's world, but every, all the the pressures and what needs to get done and all that stuff. The interesting aspect of trying to figure out from inside what's important for, for you as, as you interact with society at large uh, and, you know, what your responsibilities are and what gives you purpose. The interesting thing that I'm discovering is, is uh, it's not that easy to look inside. And you find interesting stuff there when you do. And it, it, it's what allows, for instance, you to, to become who you are today is you you have to understand where your sense of purpose comes from and you you have found it. And, and that's why you get joy from doing what you do is you've found your purpose. And too many people go too long without taking the opportunity to do that. And if life forces you to do that, it's actually a good moment, not a bad moment. Much as you say about it's not a sense of deprivation, it's a sense of joy. It's the same thing. If, if life forces you to have one of those moments, look at it as a good thing.
0: It's quite a cliffhanger here. I, I want to keep asking, but I'll, <laughs> I'll keep myself and the listeners on the edge until okay. next time. Okay. Well, John Sargent, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.